Have you ever thought to yourself, screw it, I'm quitting my job and traveling the world? This euphoria comes over you as you picture yourself snorkeling with Nemo, ziplining through the jungle, and attending a cacao ceremony in the Andes. Then reality comes in, and your life, your wallet, your responsibilities slap the thoughts back into their lockbox hiding inside of your subconscious. This notion of travel has been in our human DNA since we were nomads. Movement, changing scenarios, new adventures, it's in our blood, yet we rarely satisfy that hunger buried deep inside us all to explore more, to see more. Until you log on to YouTube and you come across Louis Cole, a YouTuber with over 2 million subscribers who has been travel vlogging for over 6 years. Louis has allowed people to live the adventure through his adventures when he decided to live the nomadic lifestyle and start traveling the world. Having racked up over 400 million views, Louis uses the power of video to bring his audience around the world with him. His unique ability to crack into cultures and see things from a unique point of view makes him so interesting to listen to. Today, you're about to get a first-hand experience of what goes through Louis's mind on a day-to-day basis. In this episode, we talk about what does it take to create daily vlogs while traveling, how he bought a propeller plane and flew it around the world, his future of utilizing the social good club to provide positive change in the world, understanding the grassroots issues around climate change and social issues, and how traveling the world can change your outlook on life. We recorded this podcast live from my apartment in Santa Monica, so you can watch and listen to the conversation live on YouTube, which I highly suggest. And so without further ado, episode 65, let's jump into it. We're live. Louis Cole, he's in the building. How are you, man? I'm good, thanks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. New Year, man. It's my, I feel like that's my favorite holiday, if you mm. would, because it's just so empowering and impactful. You know, happy New Year. New Year, new you. Like It's cheesy, but it's it's the real deal. Like You can change your entire life in one year. Yeah, and it's, it is weird because it's just another day, really, and we've just put a label on it, but it, it helps me, anyway, feel this sense of like... I can set all these new goals. There's a nice chunk of time for the next year that I can kind of, you know, change things up. And it's just like an easy kind of signpost to be like, you know, let's let's switch things up and and just have a fresh kind of perspective on things. And it feels so good just to write out your goals, man. Yeah, we're doing a um, me and my housemates are doing a kind of vision board night tonight where we're gonna do some breath work, kind of just tune in, and then kind of just plan out our year a bit and put down some inspiration and stuff, which should be good. Vision boards are next level. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're younger, you might think it's kind of cheesy at first. You're like, oh, man, I'm too cool for that. And then when you start stepping into yourself and realizing that you actually want to achieve things, it's like you got to put it in front of you mm. because every day the time's ticking and if every day that you're not making moves, someone else is living your life. And dude, you're everywhere. I mean, you're the type of person that seems to just have taking life and just ran with it. I mean, you're a creator, you're an organizer. You gotta be one of the most organized people because there's no way someone travels as much as you without being somewhat organized. It's funny, I definitely wouldn't describe myself as that, but I think if you have the people around you to make up for your kind of lacking kind of those abilities, it, it's, you know, they're part of your team. So, um, yeah, so I've got uh, an assistant which normally helps with all the the organizational stuff which has been good um but yeah i think 
Yeah, I've always been, I've always had that drive. I've always had that excitement for life and realizing that I haven't wanted to settle for kind of what I've been sold as this is a picture of how life should look. Now, I guess I've always questioned that and thought, hmm, yeah, but what do I really want? Do I have to conform to the, these sets of kind of rules and just questioned it all? And I think that's a big part of what's kind of steered me and taken me to where I am now. Do you find pleasure in just kind of always being outside that comfort zone? Like, do you ever feel like once things kind of settle down, you almost need to shift things up or you feel like you're not really just making moves? It's an interesting one. I think my personality type, because we've been doing this as a house, there's this, um, there's this personality test called the Enneagram test. I don't know if you've done it, but it, it gives you a number. And I firstly hate being pigeonholed, but this really was like very accurate. To, it just, it shows you like what your kind of deepest fears are, what, what drives you. And funny enough, one of the things that I naturally tend to veer towards is comfort. Like I do find like I feel this blissful state when I'm in full comfort. So it's not natural for me to get out up early in the morning to push outside my comfort zone. But I also, it's interesting because my, what I see as a comfortable state in life is being content, being deeply happy. And I think a lot of the things that we're sold will give us that. I've just been clued into early on that, mm, I don't buy that, do you know what I mean? So um, I found kind of the, the comfort, comfortable is an interesting word because it can be a good thing and a bad thing. I think there's there's a, an, a comfort that you need from life that kind of, you don't want to constantly be in a state of um, discomfort. But there is something about pushing out your comfort zone that helps you achieve things that you ordinarily wouldn't. And that's this year, one of my things I put in my vision, like it, that I'm going to be putting in my vision board that I kind of jotted down the other day was that I do want to daily push out of my comfort zone. And the thing that I've been, the tool I've been using to help me do that is this ice bath we have in our house of just doing an ice plunge in the morning, which, um, or in the afternoon or whenever, some point in the day. And that just like, it's such an unnatural thing to do to put your body in that kind of like, um, I don't want to use the word trauma. It's not really trauma, but it like definitely is this, you know, your body's reacting massively. It's not comfortable in any sense, but being able to do that and overpower your natural desire for comfort, it, it trains your brain to be able to do anything. So when I get out of the ice bath, after a few minutes, I'm like, I can do anything today. Um, so yeah, that's been, that's been something I've, I've learned. And a year ago, I would never, I literally, I would like, there's no chance I'm doing that because I hated cold water. I still do hate cold water, but um, yeah, it's been a good one. Yeah, my friend Sky Cohen's is the one who first talked about ice baths and daily mm. ice baths and how they can kind of change your life, the Wim Hof method. And yeah, didn't she go to, uh, with Yes Theory, she went up to, over to Poland or somewhere. Yeah, she was on the pod before. I yeah. mean, super awesome human. Um, I first did my ice bath at my friend Anton's house. He's got mm -hmm. that same little like cooler. It's like mm -hmm. you can get one for like two hundred dollars if you fit. I'm it's like, like a chest freezer. Yeah, you fill it with water. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sweet. I mean, two hundred bucks, boom, and you just jump in this ice bath. And mm. do you know like what the medicinal like? Because there's not too much studies yet done on it. It's yeah. kind of a new deal. 
Yeah, it's supposed to. I don't know all the science, but there's there's a lot of evidence showing that it it's bring gives you better circulation. It it's like uh, life longevity. Just generally, it gives you it builds up like a healthier fat. Like I don't know all the science, like I said, but there's like brown fat that builds up that gives you I don't know better. It helps you. I don't know burn other like the the bad fat better. I don't know. There's all these like things I've read up on. Um, but for me, even despite the medical side of it, just the mental willpower to be able to do that, I think it unlocks something that gives you more control over, especially if you're feeling lethargic, lazy, unproductive, like... You're, it's like getting a big win first thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, whoa, like, it's such a rush as well. I think it fills your body with that endorphins and like adrenaline of like, whoa. <laughs> I'm all about hot tubs. I'm mm. in a hot tub doing my oh, whole yeah. life. We have a hot tub as well. So now, when I first started it, we didn't have the hot tub set up, but we got one of those inflatable hot tubs. So now I can do the ice bath and then straight in the hot tub as a, as like a reward. Do you have the sauna set up? We don't have the sauna yet. That's the that's the next one. The sauna is definitely the next thing. There's so much health benefits to saunas for mm. me. What I find really interesting is just as a generation, I feel like this, the, the new wave, and maybe it's because we live in LA and mm. everyone's like this, but- We are in a bit of a bubble. People are so stoked on just improving their health, you mm. know, biohacking, health hacking, whoever you want to call it. It's so exciting and it's so fun to try to be super healthy. Mm. You know, instead of destroying our bodies, it's how can we build it up, lower inflammation. Yeah. Even if it's cryotherapy, acupuncture, whatever it is, just alternative medicines is very interesting. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's all part of like people wanting to find a way to be the better them and whether that's with their health or wellness or mental health or there's all these, I think especially in this area, a lot of people have kind of let go of this facade of like i don't know for me i think if i look at other parts of la specifically or you know around the western world there's like a lot of people are chasing this idea of success it's all about money and fame and whatever it is materialist material things but really when you tap into the idea that when you can better your own life you know yeah like whether it's health or spiritually or whatever it is that gives you that just wake up in the morning and feeling fulfilled and feeling healthy and feeling like you're, you know, you're on top of everything. Um, that's way more rewarding, I think, than just, you know, what we're, what society typically tells you to chase after to find find that kind of deeper contentment. Yeah, building a business that encourages that behavior, this feels like such a rewarding mm. type of thing to achieve. You know, whoever can scale something on that level is going to, you know, that's a billion dollar business. Yeah, and I'd much rather be promoting things that are actually making a positive change in the world, whereas there's a lot of huge corporations that what the actual products they're selling are damaging, toxic to us, toxic to the planet. And it's like the idea that, yeah, that there's a shift happening, not just, I mean, we talk about consciousness a lot in this area because it's like Venice vibes and whatever. But there is like a shift in the global consciousness of like what we're doing and especially with the, the environmental stuff like how are we treating our planet and then I think corporations it's hard to like tie them all with the same brush because you know there's people involved at different levels and some people are greedy and mm -hmm. don't want to change and it's all about the profit and other other corporations I truly believe 
they are shifting. And, but overall, I think there is a, sh a conscious social shift where even big corporations that people are like, oh, they're evil. I feel like it's all going to shift where they're going to make better and better choices for the planet and for humanity. That's, that's, a, that's the hopeful side of me anyway. That's a great mindset. I mean, yeah. the, the number one company that comes to mind, that's like the ideal is probably Patagonia, mm. in my opinion, mm. just like what they're doing and their, their message and building a business, being profitable, but still helping. We actually had this one investor, this is separate from Patagonia, uh, Ibrahim Al Husseini. Uh, he was on probably 15 episodes ago. He is a large time investor in simply uh, energy solving technologies. Yeah. So it's a for-profit you know, investor, but he only invests in the infrastructure of our society, products and companies that are building things that reduce, um, you know, use less energy, use less electricity, save more carbon. So it's kind of cool that type of business model, his company's called Full Cycle. Mm. And if we had enough of those in the world, things can really change. And another one was Daniela Fernandez from the SOA, Sustainable Ocean Alliance. The SO Alliance, I think, has now like 6,500 chapters across the world. It's huge. It's the largest youth-led um, group of climate change people in the world. And she recently started a, an accelerator called the um, o Ocean Sustainable Accelerator. And it only invests in startups that are building things to help bring down pollution, you know, help global warming, whatever it is. Mm. And that investment bucket is only dedicated towards those companies. So her goal is then to give best. I think they have like 20 that have already gone through their accelerator, but they're trying to get up to a hundred and just scale that business model and just keep giving money to the companies that are creating products that are going to help change the world piece by piece. Because mm. I think people are inherently good. You know, we want to help people when we're born babies, we're good people, but then we just don't know what we can do. And then, you know, we, we're governed by eating and needing to clothe ourselves mm. and just the basics that we forget sometimes that, you know, maybe I shouldn't use this product or this product, this product or this product. So we made it so easy for people that they couldn't get it wrong because even the bad food was good food. Mm. That seems like the utopia. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's, I think it's attacking it from all angles from like campaigning to change policy from kind of going from the corporate angle of corporations just taking the responsibility but then also on a personal level finding as many things we can do in our own lives to be more sustainable but you're right like it's hard to put it all on the individual because sometimes we just don't have the options and it's very hard to find certain things we need in a you know that are uh, ethical or sustainable so if we can change laws or whatever so it makes it illegal to for single-use plastic or something or whatever it is like i think that's that's going to be pretty critical but yeah i think i think everything needs to change like we need to attack it from all angles and something like i've been building and we're launching this year is so for like the last kind of six years i've been traveling the world um having adventures making really fun content um but i've kind of got to the stage now where um, I want to, you know, there's been a bit of a shift in my life. I'm kind of wanting to still, I still want to travel. Uh, obviously with traveling, there's this big question mark on the carbon footprint and, you know, is it that we should all stop traveling, which I don't think is a solution. Ideally, we look at, you know, the, are there future technologies that can help with, um, you know, long distance travel that aren't causing the planet as much harm. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I have slowed down my travel. Um, but I also do think travel is an amazing eye-opener, helps you feel 
empathy and compassion for people around the world, helps you understand different cultures. I think it helps with this globalised mindset. And I truly do feel like a global citizen. By also having built an audience on YouTube and different social platforms, realise like I really want to kind of have the, the best impact on the world around me and and I feel responsible to do that. And I feel like that's kind of what is it's more important to me now as to figure out what is my message. And for a long time it's been, you know, peace out, enjoy life and live the adventure. And I think those are all important things, but I feel like it's a lot deeper than that. And especially being in this city, which is like the epicenter of influence in the world, in my opinion, with the friendships I have, the connections and the influence of the world. Um, the next kind of phase for me of life is being more, I guess, cultivating a community of people that have huge influence and finding ways that we can tackle big global problems. And firstly, that I think that starts with creating and I've kind of done this in, at the house I live in, there's eight of us living there, but create this very tight-knit, true community where we care for each other, we're looking out for each other, we're helping each other thrive. And, and from that place, I think it empowers us all to do more with our lives. And a lot of influencers I know in LA are very isolated, disillusioned, often suffering from depression, mental health, burnout. There's all of these issues going on. And I think community is really lacking. So I want to find ways to build local community up, um, whether that's through little events or whatever, like, you know, we've, we've run a few meals that we've had, we want to do some retreats, little trips away. But I think once, once we can help people find belonging and a place to um, work on themselves, I think it, it can then be a space for finding real vision and ways to collaborate on, um, yeah, tackling global issues so for me that's my goal um starting this year is to is to do that and we're launching um the project called the social good club which is officially launching next month um but yeah let's that, talk about that yeah can you go deeper into that yeah so i've 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 been playing around with these ideas of wanting to kind of tap into this wider group of friends that i have and like how can i help them who have some of who have come to me and said, oh, I feel really lost right now. I want to do something better with my platform, but I feel, you know, like I don't know how to make a difference. So I've teamed up with um, my friend Brandon, who's been in the kind of social impact space for 10 years. And we've started reaching out to and connecting with these bigger networks of kind of um, in, in the social impact space, uh, finding innovators that are coming up with solutions to, you know, to tackle some of these crazy global problems we're seeing, whether it's environmental or humanitarian things, or, you know, really it's under the umbrella of pretty much what we've taken as a guideline is the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which are like, I can't list them all, but it covers kind of every, it looks at the root cause of every problem that's happening around the world right now. It's like an, e an easy template to figure out, okay, how do we start tackling these issues? So I think like working together with influencers who have such a, a big, amplified voice um, with people that haven't got a haven't got an amplified voice that need to be heard or need to be you know for their wh whatever they're creating to be a light a light to be shone on it so I think that could, could involve like making content together which it might be celebrating breakthroughs and 
amazing stories of hope that are happening to give people hope that you know there are there are things that are happening around the world that are good there are um, amazing breakthroughs already happening um, and then it might also be shining a light on things that are you know we need to desperately help and we need to intervene whether it's this you know these Australia Australian wildfires right now and partly I feel a bit hopeless because it's like well you know we can help with emergency aid whether it's like wildlife rescue or the Red Cross or you know helping the fire brigade like get into these areas but in a way you know for me that's just like putting a band-aid on the problem and it's not looking at the deeper problem so you know as hopefully these fires kind of die down and this you know the situation calms down I think it's then looking at okay what are the long-term solutions to tackle this globally like whether it's fires we've had here in California or Brazil or you know it's obviously climate change, but it's like, you know, there must be specific, there must, and I know there's people working on these solutions that just, you know, can't get their ideas out there or can't get the funding or whatever it is. So it's like, after the emergency help that's been, I, and I'm, I know, I looked at this Instagram account, do you know Celeste Barber? She's like a comedian Instagrammer. Celeste, I know. She's an Australian comedian that kind of does these like funny, she kind of takes the mick of like, fashion models and she does these like comparison like poses and funny things but she's like just a very normal looking woman who's just like she kind of just mocks the whole fashion industry anyway um i don't know how many followers she's got a few million she launched a fundraiser for australian wildfires and i think within a day she'd raised like almost 20 million dollars and it was crazy to me. And I've seen this happen, I guess, with what Mr. Beast is doing with Team Trees and, and they raised $20 million over the span of like two months or something. That's and, crazy. And um, to plant trees, which is amazing. And I think it's, I think it's, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Like, can we team together as, as a group of influencers? But not just on these annual fundraisers, but like more integrated and day-to-day like not just asking our audience to donate a dollar, but are there, are there, can we help people's mindset shift, behavior patterns shift, day-to-day ways that they even look at, understand their own life and their place on this planet? And, you know, can there be more kind of societal shift um, with, the, with the millions of people that we have influence over? That's interesting because it's kind of like the whole dilemma that goes with like the Bill Gates Foundation. Mm. When you have all this money, and you want to use it to social good, one of the biggest issues is where to put it, who yeah. to give it to without yeah. it falling in the wrong hands. Mm. Because what you're saying is amazing. You know, if you could bring together all of these people, millions of millions of people with influence, mm. you know, what could that target? How much lives could you get changed? And overall would just bring good, good stuff. And people mm. want to do good, you know, with their stuff. I like your story because you're like, at first I went and tell me if this is a, this is a bit wrong, but at first you're like, I want to live the adventure. I want to yeah. travel the world. That is freaking awesome. Yeah. And you've done it. You've been around the world, what feels like five times from yeah. what I've seen. Yeah. And now you've come out the other end. You're like, oh, damn. Well, maybe that's just not the only answer. You're like, wow. But someone has to almost go through your experience to be able to have your mindset. Because I don't know if you can just teach it mm. simply. It's kind of like the idea that money, right? People think that they will be happier if they get super wealthy, right? In the back of our mind, we need money. It's comfort. It's, it helps us, you know, sustain life and all that. But I think it was Naval said on Joe Rogan's podcast, the co-founder of Angelist, mm. he said that you have to get rich so you can find out that it doesn't matter. 
but until you get rich, it's really hard to figure out it doesn't matter. Mm. And it's interesting just kind of transpiring about how you're correlating, how you're talking about traveling, but now coming out the other end to bring all these people together. Yeah, and it's not that I don't think travel is important. Like I said, I think it is, but I think it can also be like anything in life if you're chasing after it but can become un- unfulfilling and it can become quite that you're just, you know, just focused in your own, what you're getting out of something. And it might be that, yeah, I haven't grown up and haven't fallen into that trap of materialism, but I, for a long time, was chasing after experiences. And it was like, oh, what can my, how can I get the most experiences out of life? And I think truly, yeah, traveling was incredible. And I think there is something beautiful about it all. But I think that comes hand in hand with feeling a responsibility for this planet and for the people in it and there's you know we're in this is the most powerful nation on earth but with that there's um you know enormous wealth disparity you know i think this the stats are something like 50 percent of food that is bought and used definitely in america is is discarded which could probably feed all the developing countries that are you know in famine or you know there's horrendous poverty and starvation so it's like really difficult I don't think uh, you know we could start <laughs> we could start really like picking apart how broken global society is um, or it's just like starting to take some responsibility ourselves and being like okay well you know it's a bit overwhelming thinking how do we start solving world problems but if we if we kind of choose to be a part of the solution and choose to be part of a community that are at least looking to solve problems and it's like yeah we can I, I think the problem that often happens is people make positive choices or trying to make positive choices and they get sh- shut down by the people that are like you know you need to be like zero. falling into that cultural norm yeah no but also like you, you know you can I feel like if someone's so I'm, I'm vegan and a big part of that was the environmental cause uh, problems that it causes and then kind of it, it became a deeper thing for me where it's about animal welfare and actually my own health but I and I see a lot of vegan activists or people that are like um, zero waste activists that are like kind of really condemning people for you know not not making all the choices they, they could do and I feel like we need to be celebrating every small choice that people make so, you know for me it's if someone's not vegan but wants to stop eating meat once a week one meal a day or something that's an amazing thing to celebrate and it's like if we can all start just celebrating the small choices we make to be more sustainable more ethical in our life and how we you know treat the planet i think that's that's the way we need to move and i think it's been a weird year for me where there's been like you know this whole thing like this whole cancel culture and people being you know, it's just very, everything, everyone's very sensitive right now. And I feel like that, that could hold us back from people at least trying. They might be too scared to try and make a difference. Like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I don't want to stick my head out and say, say the wrong thing or something, you know. Yeah, people hate bullying, right? Mm-hmm. In general, no one likes bullies. Mm-hmm. We all universally agree that we shouldn't have bullies yet. It seems like everyone's a bully these days yeah. with this whole culture. Yeah, you know, people think they're doing the right thing, but they're just being aggressive, man. Mm-hmm. People just saying some crazy, outrageous stuff to one another, especially you know behind a computer because it's much yeah. easier. And then I think the other thing is well, because and maybe it's partly because there's over the last few years it's got more and more polarized politically, and you know even in the UK with Brexit and 
you know, leaving the European Union and, and here with the Republicans and Democrats. And for me, like, I think to move forward and to start tackling some of these global issues, firstly, we need to stop making them all political. So it's not like, invi- you know, uh, climate change shouldn't be a political thing. It's just like straight up, like this is what every single scientist is saying. Like we need to stop using this as some kind of power, power play in politics. And I think if we can start, and this is something I'm challenging myself on this year, is like, you know, I do live in a bubble, and even in the UK, like every all my friends, like we all have a we all have pretty much a similar view on life, or close enough. You know what I mean? Like we have, you got your tribe. Yeah, and I think even in my audience, do you know what I mean? I I feel like there's we attract our own people that have a similar views to us so we can reaffirm like yeah this is what we believe and I do you know I do strongly believe a lot of the things I believe because I do (laughs) but I feel like to make a real difference and to start kind of impacting the bigger bigger picture we need to find ways to find common ground with people that are on the other side of the argument or the other side of the fence or the other side of the political spectrum do you know what I mean like is there ways that we can connect somehow and start is there something we can all agree on yeah something we can start owning as humanity and not you know not as a political party or even a country you know forget nationalism not you know as a as a planet what can we as humanity start agreeing on that needs to change and I think most people would agree like you know extreme poverty and lack of access to drinking water and animals going extinct like no one's like yay for that like no one wants that to happen um so i guess it's looking at solutions and and then it might be that through looking for those solutions from on a you know from a balanced way and without people feeling there's an agenda we might come to the solution you might come to the the kind of uh, conclusion that yeah actually to stop you know, people dying of starvation or these refugee problems or these wildlife dying that there's there seems to be this climate change happening yeah. and whether you agree or not, which some people bizarrely don't agree that it's human caused, it's still happening and could we team up to find solutions to solve it? So, I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but I'm just thinking that maybe it's just coming from a different angle rather than this place of frustration and anger and blame and kind of just, um, yeah, just something that I don't think is helping the dialogue. It's not helping us come, you know, it's, it's just causing more and more division. Yeah, I, I think that the, cl- the funding companies that are going to make the change yeah. is just the root. Yeah. I think that's probably like the best bet we have because like if you put the money in the hands of the people like you that want to do it if i gave you five million dollars and you created some sort of pot that you know takes salt water and lowers the salinity and makes it fresh water you're going to find a way to scale that all over and maybe yeah. that ends up helping get fresh water yeah well one of the things I, i'm really excited to do as with the social good club is make a lot of content for you know like i said like sharing stories of hope um bringing awareness around issues that need awareness, spotlighting incredible innovators that are doing great things. But yeah, like also um, setting up a foundation where we can start supporting and funding um, and promoting some of these small startups that are doing great things. So I think that is, like you said, that is a big part of it. I think that we have to start um, 
we have to realise we're, you know, as much as donations and charity can be good in the short term, I don't think um, we can just live on handouts and it's, you know, there's no, nothing in history shows that donations are going to solve long-term problems. I think they're always for short-term, you know, emergency relief for the wildfires or whatever, whatever those problems are. But I think if you're setting up companies and uh, social enterprises and, and kind of within this capitalist structure that we're in, like that's the way to grow. And you look at some of the biggest, um, you know, the biggest companies in the world, like they, they're the ones that like are kind of directing that everything the planet they they are bigger you know they have a bigger influence in the country some countries do do you know what I mean right. so I do yeah I do agree we have to start looking at ways to shift kind of the the world of business and kind of use use what the society is geared up to be which is like you know the entrepreneur's dream like America as you know, though there's a lot of flaws, has this um, amazing, and other other countries in the developing world have have this ability for people to, you know, if it, if it works financially and people, you can build a business model, then it's going to grow faster than any kind of charitable organisation, in my opinion. Yeah, if you have enough people like yourself, like you know these these people we've mentioned, mm-hmm. um, you're going to make some sweet, serious change. And mm-hmm. typically, what makes change the hardest is when you see somebody else actually doing it, yeah. not just talking about it. And I think there's a big issue that, you know, we always just, you know, talk about it, thinking we're raising awareness. But like you said, you know, at what degree are we actually making a big impact or are we just doing it to stroke our own good feelings? Mm. Uh, like there's this one uh, woman we had on Plastic Free Mermaids, her name, shout out Kate Nelson. And she lives a life of 100% plastic free, like everything in her life. And when you talk to her, you just see the passion of how upset she gets at just the thought of utilizing single-use plastic. Hmm. And it motivates and inspires you to change. You you come out the other end, like I'm a different person from that. You know, I've at least lowered my individual plastic intake since that conversation. I haven't been perfect, but like you said, a little bit of a day, you know, yeah. keeps the doctor away. But well, it needs to be celebrated. It's not, you know, I, I agree. Like it's, it's good to feel inspired and make changes, but if you can't, if you can't go fully plastic free, I think that's still great. Like you're, you're doing your best. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I, I'm excited about what the next decade mm. comes out because it's a do or die for the world and just everyone around, you know, it's like the, the plastic one's a difficult one. Cause I, I do agree that we live in a very convenient, it's a world that's, that's built around convenience, whether it's like the Uber ride, you know, Uber picks you up, from exactly where you need it or you know yeah like amazon prime now where you can get things delivered to your doorstep or just being able to walk into any store and pretty much get anything you need and i feel like in order to i don't think we're going to be able to shift people's mindsets away from convenience but if we can shift like the tools in which we deliver convenience to people to be more sustainable and ethical whether it's the packaging that things come in or yeah, just like the the way that they're delivered, all of that stuff. I think that's got to be the bigger picture, real impactful solution because only a small percentage of people are going to go completely out of their way to not use a single piece of single use plastic. 
And I think it's amazing that people can do that. And I'd love to be one of those people. And I've, again, trying, I'm trying my best. I typically have like a little collapsible cup I have in my pocket and bamboo cutter in, you know, all of that stuff. But um, it's really hard on the on the flight when they, you know, I, when I still fly when I'm traveling and, you know, I've now refusing to do the single use um, plastic cups that they fill the water up in. And I was on one airline and they were they were refusing to fill up my reusable water bottle with water. Which is crazy. That is crazy. And then the, the meal comes out with in a plastic tray. Do you know what I mean? And you're just like, ah, oh, like, you know. The system's not working. And then I try and bring snacks with me, like a bag of nuts, but the bag of nuts is in a plastic bag. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's still... But if we can, if we can replace the convenience of single-use plastic with something that's truly uh, compostable, that's not this, like, fake biodegradable plastic thing that's popping up at the moment but I feel like there's truly truly like good for the planet um, alternatives that's got to be the solution I don't know why that hasn't exploded you know there must be reasons there's probably companies again this is where I think working with innovators and people that are already there's probably someone listening right now that's like I'm doing this I've been doing it for years and no one's listening like but then you know that's what I'm saying we need to shine light on these alternatives and and try and uh, shift, you know, start putting demand on these big companies to say, to say, you need to stop using plastic and you need to start using this brand of, of alternative plastic, which does the exact same thing, but you're not killing the planet. Well, with your social good club, you're yeah. building this engine that's yeah. going to be possible to feed all of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And every, you need that. So yeah. that's the first step. Right, and then you can figure out the second step with where to, where the money goes, where's the funding, where's all mm-hmm. that. So that's really exciting. I, I do want to circle back real quick yeah. and kind of find out a little bit about your story. Mm-hmm. Six years ago, you know, yeah. before you became this travel vlogger, daily vlogger, mm-hmm. um, which must have you know just been a, cra- a crazy road. Just watching your videos, where you've been, you've been all around the world. You've talked to people from all different cultures. Who were you like, I don't know, 10 years ago, like before all of that? Like, what were you doing before you jumped into this online world? Well, I always, I always had a passion for travel, even as a kid. I think from the age of 14, um, my parents took us on a family holiday in, to Asia, to Malaysia and uh, Indonesia. And it's like, that was back in, yeah, like 97, I think. Um, and it was way before, like, you know, it was, it was way before the backpacking boom and like the amount of people that travel now is just insane. Like it's kind of just, you know, the idea of going Indonesia or Bali is like, oh yeah, everyone's been there. But you know, back then this was just like, no one was traveling. And, uh, yeah, I think from, from that point and then through my twenties, I was just like traveling, not, not as much, but like multiple times a year doing trips around Europe with friends and I'd been to a few countries in Africa and I started really getting this desire to travel a lot and then stumbled into the whole YouTube world. Um, before I started doing YouTube full time, I was actually um, working with a, um, a lot of youth charities and working with young people and I've got, and I still have it actually, a double decker bus that I'd converted as a youth club and I was driving around to like bad neighbourhoods, bad neighbourhoods in London and working with um, kind of at-risk young people and kind of helping them steer them in a good direction in life and um, trying to be a support and then yeah just got kind of flung into this 
kind of whole new world with the online kind of I don't know I just felt like I'd it was um it was it was just the right time you know there was this like this era of kind of 2012 2013 where everything was blowing up YouTube was becoming like this global mega site and it was you know during that time yeah I feel like I was one of the first if not the first kind of travel vlogger uh, and then it's just yeah just kept on growing and it's been yeah just a, such an incredible journey but I would would have never guessed kind of in my early 20s and mid 20s that this would have been a thing and then it just yeah it's been a crazy crazy ride out of all of the places and travel stories you've been is there just one thing that you just always like kind of like a WTF story like how like you did not see this coming type of type of deal when you're on the road um hmm I mean there's just so many I think some of the most memorable trips I've done uh, and most controversial there's the time when I was in North Korea for 10 days and just that was a real eye-opener to realize you know this is a very isolated um kind of you could call it like an oppressed country because you know the, there are a lot of restrictions on people but there was something that in even amongst that that was really beautiful when I was chatting to these girls and they had no they were like in their early 20s and they had no concept of what the the beauty standard should look like or how they should look to the point where they had no self-esteem issues no body image issues they were just like so content weren't make, wearing makeup they weren't bombarded by this just relentless um, image of beauty that we get in the Western world of like, you know, billboards and social media and TV and movies and music videos and everything. It's like all, you know, and even in South Korea, which is literally hundreds of, you know, a few hundred miles away, it's, they've got the highest rate of plastic surgery in the world because there's so much pressure to look a certain way. And just because of the cultural difference between the two countries like the I really saw true freedom from these girls and that really blew my mind I was like well although this is an oppressed you know country there was but like, there are some silver linings in I've it. never seen so much freedom in, in girls ever you know in terms of how they they're them loving themselves because I feel like, you know, especially women in our society are just absolutely crushed by the amount of pressure to, to look a certain way. Yeah, I mean, how can you not be? Yeah. It's, it's in, we're addicted to our phones and our phones are showing it all day. Yeah. And then it's, yeah, it's like, you know, plastic surgery and face, and then face tune. And it was always like, it always started as like photoshopping and magazines. And now it's just like, you know, just crazy the amount that's manipulated to make people feel bad about themselves you know yeah the whole the whole movement with just technology is is a scary deal i mean it's like mm -hmm. so beneficial but i mean yeah. man have you ever do you feel like you're ever addicted to technology yeah and i i try you know i i think i can recognize it and even stupid things like i was addicted to this you know i have got a bit of an addictive personality and i was addicted to this game and i was just like okay I don't even know the name of it, but it was just like this little spaceship game where I was like shooting things. It was just like weird, but I'd like, I remember one night I just 
stayed up for four hours and played on my phone. And I was just like, what am I doing? And I just like deleted the game, but I'm like, man, there's so much on my phones. Or, you know, I've been better this year, but like just scrolling endlessly on the feeds of Twitter and Instagram. And it's just like the first thing you pick up in the morning, the last thing you put down at night. And it's become, you know, really just brutally invasive to our lives. It's like that dopamine hit every time. Yeah, and I just think it's, you know, there's there's studies that show it's just as addictive as, you know, any any substance, alcohol, anything. It's like that this this feeling and it's also then tied in with you how you value yourself. So if you're on social media to see how much interaction or, or likes you're getting or comments or whatever it is. Even not as an influencer, but just as a normal person, you know, I hear that high school kids or even younger growing up nowadays find their their value and their popularities linked with how many likes or followers they have. And that's terrifying to me because this is like, this is like bringing a whole generation up with this completely distorted understanding of what's important in life. So I do think although I've built a whole career of social media, there's this very dark side to it all as well. But I think the optimist and the hopeful in me sees that there's still, you know, overall it's doing a lot better for the world and it's connecting us, even though in a lot of ways it's disconnecting us from face-to-face kind of community. Um, I think it doesn't need to, like, I don't think it all needs to be bad. And I think because we've, it's only been like a fraction in the in the scale of humanity in the history of humanity like we've only been in this world of social media and hyper connectivity for like you know a split second um i think we'll figure it out i think it's you know we'll figure out where we need to adjust things and you know bring in new got you know like um guidelines or um constructs to help us not destroy ourselves with this because it, it you know it has a very destructive element but I think we can do it in the ways you, if you look at any evolution of technology there's like there's always safety things that come in and you know you look back 50 years and everything's like oh my gosh there's no health and safety everything was super dangerous everything was pumping out crazy way more pollution and you know we've just we've we've evolved all of the things that you know car look at like how safe cars are now if you have a crash like compared to like a 50 year old car like yeah so it's almost like now it's like i feel like as we learn the dangers of it all we can we can shape it so that hopefully when my kids are teenagers like this social media world will be a lot less kind of harmful yeah and there's going to be a lot of hiccups yeah a lot on the way and a lot of failure i mean it's like the world of ai it's yeah. so amazing so yeah. crazy like if you had a google home in your house i don't have one personally yeah is that, right. i am you, a little bit creeped out is by that it. because you don't want google listening well it's just like yeah i mean i'm talking to my friend like yeah you know i'm thinking of getting a new podcasting mic next thing you know it's mm-hmm. like my, my tv's telling me i need a new mic my google's telling me my new mic it's I'm not concerned because like my life's so interesting that I want people to listen. I mean, if some dude's sitting there listening to me, I'm like, bro, come on. There's mm-hmm. what, there's some cooler people that you can probably listen to. But it's just like the connectivity. But the point is regulating it, right? Yeah. Getting yeah. to a point where it's to a healthy degree. Because like my phone, right? 
you know, I'm always just like you. I'm constantly looking at, you know, vanity metrics, if you would, just where you're at. You, you get into this loop. Mm-hmm. I love updating my email. I get stoked with new email. You know, even if it's, I just, I just like being productive. And sometimes I link my productivity with how much I'm on these platforms. And that's mm-hmm. what's really bad is separating work from play. Yeah. And also it's like, even the way that apps are built and these companies are using... Uh, are tapping into these human responses which I think can be very unethical if they know that they're creating something to become more and more and more addictive that we won't leave the app it's almost like how the cigarette companies had to suddenly stop advertising everywhere and even on the packaging have all these warning signs do you know what I mean it's like yeah. I feel like when when we realise the true damage of especially to people's mental health, that there's going to have to be, yeah, like these these guidelines come into place to stop it. And then just the hip-hop, hypocrisy of yeah. certain situations, like that we can go and get alcohol, and alcohol's the worst thing ever for you. It's yeah. like terrible for your body, um, compared to say something like marijuana, yeah. right? Yeah. Yet, you know, here's something where you go to jail, and here's something that you can do with a fake ID when you're 14 years old, you know? It's like... Yeah. Uh, it's just interesting about trying to make everything make more sense to work with everything. I know with the whole alcohol versus weed thing is that you can measure alcohol. It's like a measurable, I can have two drinks and I'm typically going to be at this level. Mm. But with marijuana, you don't know how much you're getting based on the THC content and all that stuff. But it's just interesting about how regulators and lawmakers go about that. But then every time I get frustrated, I just remember they're just people. Yeah. Like all these people in the Senate and the people, they're just people like you and I, and they've made a career out of this. And, you know, I feel like at some point when you just reach up and tell all your lawmakers and just yell at them and yell at the politics and yell, be like, they need to do this. It's like, I don't know. Like, what do I need to do? Like, what can I do today? Mm. Sometimes that kind of annoys me about society when people just kind of look to someone else to take care of them in general versus just doing what you can do today to help benefit society. Yeah. And I think it is a mix of mix of both that's going to change the world. I think we can't put it all on we can't put it all on other people, but it's also right. It's it, got to be a healthy mix. Yeah, it's also almost impossible, especially someone that's like low income. They're almost in survival mode. They're just trying to look out for their family. The last thing they're going to care about is the dolphins. Do you know what I mean? Like right. the last thing they're going to care about is if there's too much plastic in the sea because. They're just thinking, where's the next meal coming from? Or how am I going to, you know, make sure my kid survives? So it's those, it's those families that I feel like, look, they don't have the capacity to think about going zero plastic free or, or change to a vegan diet, whatever it is, because they're just in absolute survival mode. So that's where I think it does come in to play where there needs to be these affordable, ethical, sustainable solutions that just get rolled out countrywide or planet-wide. I'm getting excited, man. It's like there's so much so much opportunity. Yeah, here. yeah. that's why I don't understand why these, some of these big corporations don't just see it and be like... And maybe they are. Look, maybe there's tons of stuff happening behind the scenes and I, hear, I do see articles and news reports that, you know, things are slowly changing, but I just think, like, it's, it's so exciting to think of some of these bigger companies made huge commitments in these areas. Well, it's tough for some lawmakers to 
I guess I think the mm-hmm. reason behind some people just thinking things like climate change aren't real yeah. is just the fact that it's probably not going to affect them for at least long before they're after their term yeah. or they just push it off. Right. But it's happening right now. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that's happening every single but second. But even like, even, even plastic pollution, even if you don't believe in climate change, you can see the absolutely disastrous effects of plastic pollution and like the animals that are dying. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's terrible, like, yeah. So even if, so no one can be denying that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no one can deny that single-use yeah, plastic is bad. This is what someone will say. They'll be like, well, you know, natural fires are part of humans, the, the world. We've been having them for years. It's actually good for soil regeneration. That'll be like the yeah. pessimist's view of, of all this stuff. And it gets me so angry, but there's like, yeah. you know, that's just the, what they choose to believe. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, there's, I've even read a thing about the Australia fires where, like, um, a lot of the indigenous uh, cultures that would have historically been, like, keeping care of the land more and how the land, you do need to do kind of these, like, burning certain areas to keep it kind of less, um, you know, to, to keep the risk down a lot of those rights were taken away from the um, the indigenous in Australia and it was like the government was like no no we're going to do it our way but for thousands of years the indigenous have been keeping it, it under control cross between the actual climate change of Australia hitting some of the hottest temperatures it's ever hit you know like 40-50 degrees Celsius it's like crazy crazy hot um, it, you know it's, it's just you know a crazy crazy problem waiting to happen um, but yeah, I think it's, no matter how you look at it, it's human caused. Um, and I'd love to, yeah, just hear what, what solutions are happening to combat this kind of stuff globally, because, you know, we've had it here in California. I remember standing in Venice and ash was falling and my that was crazy, from right? the fires over there. Yeah. It was just like, what is going on and how do you how do you solve these issues? And like, luckily this is a wealthy area where the people's houses that burn down aren't kind of... They, they might have insurance. And they yeah, might be, okay. yeah, they're, they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. I mean, it's still horrible and, and traumatic. And, you know, I don't, I don't think there was any deaths from the fires here, but maybe further up in Northern California there were. But either way, it's like, it is horrific and terrifying to be living in an area where you, you know, you feel like your home could burn down um but yeah in developing countries if we had this scale of you know if you had this scale of disaster happen where there's literally no infrastructure the government can't handle it at all and even trying to get aid into those areas would be way way harder than even with australia right now like that's even scarier i think there could be that that kind of scenario could you know there could be thousands of deaths do you know what i mean because they just haven't got you know it's crazy to me even this town in australia that wasn't given the evacuation warning even with such a competent kind of modern country where they should that should have been seen and given do you know what i mean like it's crazy to me that that's even happening but yeah like if these same problems are now if it's just a global problem that's going to continue to happen like what are the solutions how do you stop this stuff. i read online that tell me if this is wrong that the amount of destruction from the australian flat fires is two times the amount that the amazon has yeah. been deforested yeah and what's that like under a month like how, how quick was that 
Yeah, I, I think that, I think the Australia fires have actually been burning three months now, but they've only just started getting in the news, like, because a few of my friends are Australian and they were talking about it a few months ago. But yeah, I heard, the, I heard there's, yeah, double the destruction of the Amazon, yeah. which is crazy because the Amazon was like, you know, people were going, you know, wild about that. They were like, it's the same as now. It's like everyone was posting about it. But then it kind of died down. It's like, well, what's actually happened? Like, what's going to stop the same thing happening next year? I don't know. Yeah, it almost seems like that and needs to just be plastered over every wall across the world. Like, what's going on with Australia right now? Like yeah. a wake-up call. Yeah. But then it's also like, the problem is when, you, when you're posting traumatic news without a solution, it's actually, I don't, I don't think that's helpful. I think there's studies that show that if you're, creating a someone to feel empathy but then there's no way for them to take action which is why i think these fundraisers do so well because you see this terrible news and you're like i need to do something and then there's a solution at the end just donate to this course and then that's your thing you can do which i think is great i think it's important i think these this money needs to be raised but i just for me it's like after this initial emergency fundraising what's next mm -hmm. and how do we if we are going to plaster posters everywhere like what is the call to action and this is the thing that i really want to explore this year by talking to people that have been in the social impact space people that have been studying this one of my friends has been studying what what makes true impact for like 20 years that's been his thing like he's been working with grassroots organizations so he's helping um, a lot with what we're trying to do. And then, yeah, like finding the people on the ground that really know what they're doing, rather than us be like guessing how to help. You know, they not actually know. These, these kind of things we're throwing out in the air now, like we're just, we're just questioning back and forth, like, oh, like I wonder what the solution is. People have found the solutions, but it's like tapping in and finding out who those people are and how and scaling those yeah like how do we scale those how do we get the government to find out about these how do we get money behind them um and i think it can happen and i think we're especially with the amount of and this going back to how i think social media and internet access globally has been a good thing we are tapping into millions if not hundreds of millions if not billions of more people around the world that are can be part of the solution that you know, that are on the ground and working on these things, you know, working on how to solve these problems. And I think it's, it's naive to think just people in the developed world in the US or the UK know the solutions. I think there's insanely um, intelligent, bright people from every country in the world that a lot of whom are almost more resourceful because they're, they're, they haven't got all of the privileges we have had um, and I've seen it in like developing countries where you know the the even the mindset and the lateral problem solving I think it's called lateral problem solving but the the, the way that they think a lot of them it's like totally different to like the education I've been brought up in and it's like way more um, it's way more catered for like true problem solving and I, I almost like want to re-educate myself in that way of like how do we learn to problem solve truly like when thinking outside of the box out of the constructs of how we've been educated you know what i mean yeah i mean there's there's two things that come to mind first have you seen the our planet series on netflix uh i think so 
it's like the newest kind yeah. of planet earth revolved it's amazing i mean the footage and content for anybody that's into wildlife is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen in terms of like modern f- photography and videography but one thing they did really cool is they would go into you know how terrible the world's falling apart mm-hmm. and ice caps are melting and climates are like really bad stuff but then they go through some case studies where you know in a certain island tourism got banned in this island and now all of a sudden you know the sharks are coming back and the reefs rebuilding and it's like showing that there's applicable change that is making Mm. you know change and that's why obviously you know you do want to have the right people you know in Mm. positions of power to be able to put those bands and put those safety harnesses on stuff and i didn't really mean it like you shouldn't just leave your like the whole view of leave your whole future up to other people and yeah you know obviously there has to be a healthy mix but i just think that by doing something about it it just makes you feel like you're more in control and like you made a really good point that fundraiser button at least makes you feel like you're in control a little Mm. bit i did my part but how can we continue to just push those issues and i think it all comes down to funding Mm. companies that are going to do it because it's Mm. funding the people with the ideas that can scale it on a huge basis and create jobs doing it and then go from there yeah and and yeah and those companies having building a business model that is sustainable and doesn't require constant fundraising. Do you know what I mean? Like that's you know that's that's what I've seen. Like before YouTube, I was working with different charities, and you're like, you know, you're you're relying on government funding or grants that you apply for, and then you're just jumping through hoops to you know to you know. There's often a lot of red tape and things that are required in order to order for you to get funding but that's why I see so much more freedom in in business models that are their goal as a business is to have impact but they're doing it through the capitalist model of like building a successful business like I said look at look at Google and Apple and Facebook all these huge ridiculous you know multi multi billion dollar companies they're the ones that could change the world very easily in my opinion Speaking of changing the world, and you've been around the world, there's yeah. one series that you did, World Flight. Yeah. So can you just, like, where did that idea come from? Well, firstly, the documentary we're making from that series, which I've been working on very, very hard, um, is due to be released in the next couple of months. My audience have been at me, like, what's going on? Because we kick-started some of the money to to make this documentary and it's i kind of jumped in the deep end really like never making long form content before so we've been um yeah final 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 stages now just like wrapping that up Uh, and that's been like two years in post-production which is crazy for me because i was like used to like making content on the day daily basis during that world flight i was making daily vlogs um, but also completely and utterly burnt out by the end of it, where it's just like destroyed me because I was like barely sleeping. It's like, you know, we're going, we're in a new country every day almost. It's like that kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, the original flight was, I think it was the beginning of 2015. I met this guy, JP, who's the pilot of the flight. And he, he talked to me about how his dream was to fly around the world. And then th- then and there, within 10 minutes of meeting, he was like, Dude, would you want to do it with me? And then... You know, we just looked at all, you know, how we could do it, how could we fund this, how could we make this happen. And it took a couple of years to make it happen. And then we, um, yeah. You got some pretty badass partners behind you. Yeah, well, none of them actually 
actually funded it, but they they supported us with equipment and stuff like that. So right. like Sony and GoPro and stuff like that. Um, and we got some publicity with Red Bull. And, so yeah, a lot of brands kind of knew about what we were doing. And uh, yeah, I, I can't announce where it's going to be distributed, but with with final stages on a contract of distributing the uh, the whole documentary as well. Um, obviously, it's going out to the Kickstarters and people that funded it first, but then it'll be available for for people to watch. And for me, what's been quite exciting about making this documentary was that I got to have this crazy kind of aviation adventure, but with a purpose. And the purpose for me was to share stories of hope from around the world about how we're all interconnected as humanity and despite kind of the polit- political division and you know people building walls and closing the borders and this narrative of of conflict we are all very similar we're all in- interconnected and it was i guess celebrating diversity from around the world and we touched on kind of you know a bit of islamophobia and i, I went to um kind of refugee camps and talked about the refugee crisis and just kind of being able to share from people's personal perspective. I think it makes it helps people empathise a bit more with what's going on around the world and it kind of takes you out of your bubble a little bit. And it's nice that it's all wrapped up in this kind of crazy adventure that we went on with you know, there's like really crazy moments that happen. So I'm yeah, I'm really excited to to release that dog. How does that even work when you're travelling the world in a plane? Like you know, you get a passport, you mm. the passport, and you get stamped every time you go into a new country. Is yeah. it the same deal? Like, how do you just like decide to get up and go to a different country? Yeah, like no, it's not as easy as that. You have to like file flight plans and check legislation and which airports you fly into. And there's like a lot of behind the scenes kind of paperwork that goes on, um, especially in parts of the world where flying in private aircraft just isn't a thing. Um, it's very easy to now, you know, to fly around America, but as soon as you start going through the Middle East and Asia, it's like you know. Do you ever have some funky moments with the plane? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, whoa, this is... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this I'm not going to give them away, but they're all, you know, we captured some crazy moments, um, which were just, it was all very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I yeah. mean, that's, that's, that's very eye-opening and yeah. very interesting. And just what you're working on is interesting. The Social Good Club is yeah. very interesting. When do you think the, when when's your first kind of maybe um, event with that or, or first pilot with we've, that? We've done some events, but it's, it's at the moment there's like some events happening behind the scenes and then it's figuring out, okay, how, how what's the front facing part of this look like? And, and we want to start making a lot of content, but it's, it's um, I think a big part for me will be, I think my role will be kind of like, kind of the community leader where I'll be like really supporting building the community side of it so a lot of that will be behind the scenes and you know just meeting with influencers supporting them running private events which some of which we might kind of post on social media and some of which are more just to like really start building those trusted deeper relationships where people can be vulnerable and get support and we can thrash around ideas of okay how can we reach your audience how can you how can we equip people give them the tools and support they need to like really you know impact the world in the way they want to connect them with the people on the ground the innovators the potentially funding to do big projects all of that kind of stuff um so that's kind of a lot of it's behind the scenes but then we do want to be rolling out regular content and we'll probably be starting a podcast and um 
doing a ton of stuff. So yeah, that's it's all hopefully kind of launching end of this month, next month, uh, we start rolling out content. And you know, there's an Instagram account we have set up uh, at the Social Good Club, which is we haven't really posted anything on yet. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what this year holds really and how it how it um, unfolds. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm super pumped, and it's it's exciting to be working with a team and. I'll still be posting YouTube videos and doing stuff and fun for Louis, but I think it's it's cool to be doing something like a, a bigger picture thing that I think is going to make more of an impact. That's interesting. And, and I appreciate you sharing so many different ways that you've kind of changed over these years and mm. how you viewed things and looked at things. There's one kind of flagship question we like to ask anybody on the show. And it kind of goes back to, you know, what would you tell if you could have went back in time to say 21 year old you? And, you know, naive you, maybe he hasn't been in the world yet. You're just, you're full of dreams, full of excitement. But if you could flash back and be like, listen up, homie, I got five minutes. You know, if you could have told him one, two or three things that could have saved you a ton of maybe time, money, headache, uh, any of those things, you know, what would those things be? It's hard because like you said, sometimes the, the ways you learn lessons in life are experiencing them. So there's nothing that I massively regret. Um, there's probably, besides YouTube and business stuff, um, there's probably relationships I would have avoided, in all honesty. I'm not going to go into my personal life, but yeah, 21-year-old me, there's definitely relationships I would just be like, steer clear. Yeah. But um, in terms of the journey I've been on, in on discovering this and, and finding my passion for kind of wanting to impact the world in the way I do now, I think... I think it's all been a part of, you know, my journey's all been a part of it and, you know, finding the success I did on YouTube and the passion I have for travel for so long and still do, but, you know, it's just shifting now. Um, all of it is part of, part of it, really, and I, I think maybe one bit of advice is not being afraid to fail and just realising, like, failure and, and being, you know, f- facing obstacles and not being able to figure out a way through is part of the process and picking yourself back up again and you know carrying on is it's all you know the amount of all the successful entrepreneurs all the people that are doing stuff in the world they all had countless countless failures but i think we don't get taught about that we we don't get shown that you know you know failure is okay it's okay to embrace failure even do you know what i mean and that we we can't beat ourselves up for failing yeah. And I think I know I know people that are just terrified of failing. And I think, you know, obviously you don't try to fail, but maybe, you know. But fail fast. I've even yeah, I've even heard people that yeah, they try to they, they almost want to test things to failure so they can learn, so they can adapt and see, okay, how why did that fail? Why did I fail on that? Honestly, I think it's it's so important to learn from that and be humble and be be not take yourself too seriously and realise that, you know, like you said before, like everyone's, you know, we're all people, everything running the world, it's all, at the end of the day, like people are at the core of it. And I think we're all a lot more alike than we realize. And we all have the same fundamental needs and insecurities and desires. And I think if we can start, like I said before as well, just like tapping into what we share, have in common and finding that middle ground I think we're going to make the world a much better place. Well, with you leading the helm, I feel very confident that's going to happen. 
when your intention, your heart, all the stuff you're working on, it's exciting. Very excited to stay connected with the future and with everything that holds. Social good project, let's go, baby. It's going. Nice. We're gonna make some moves. You know. With that said, man, you know we really appreciate you. How can anybody that's listening to this fine broadcast get to follow you, follow your journey, and where do you want them to head? Uh, yeah, just on the, all the socials. I'm at Fun for Louis. Um, and then yeah, just follow the journey with the Social Good Club as well, because that's going to be the thing I'm channeling most of my energy into this year. Um, so that's just at the Social Good Club on Instagram, and we'll be um, updating people and slowly growing the platforms and doing stuff. But yeah, it's early days. It's early days, but I'm excited. I think there's a a lot to be done and a lot of things. I uh, a lot of ways I feel like I can be a support to people. And yeah, I'm just excited to see what happens. Sounds good. Cool. We appreciate having you on, yeah, as always. For, me. Uh, for the listeners, you guys can listen to this live on YouTube, any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Until next time, it's a damn good day. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace. <laughs>